Welcome to America's Heroes Group podcast with information and resources that's disseminated intentionally to empower our military population with host Vietnam veteran Cliff Kelly, co-host Iraq veteran Colonel Dr. Damon Arnold, and co-host Army National Guard veteran Sean Claiborne. And now, America's Heroes Group podcast. America's Heroes Group with our roundtable and our partner, the Chicago Regional Office of Veteran Benefits Administration. August is National Wellness Month, and today is Saturday, August 13th, 2022. You just heard our host during the break, Cliff Kelly, and also I am Sean Claiborne, the co-host. Our executive producer is Glenda Smith, and our digital media producer is Ivan Ortega of Scouts Honor Productions. And then also we have our panelists on the line, Justina Barry. She's a U.S. Army Iraq combat veteran. And the Chicago Regional Office Public Contact Representative. And we have Donis Overton. She's a U.S. Army Combat Veteran and a U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs Public Contact Team member. We're going to talk about military environmental exposures to burn pits. Also, the legislation has been approved recently and how a veterans' benefits claims can be processed and filed. So let's talk about that. How are you guys doing? Hi, good, good afternoon. Good. Glad to have you guys on the line. Thank you for having us. How are you doing? Yes. Pretty good. Very, very good. So tell us, so so this past Wednesday, Biden signed into law. We have our president signed into law with this the PACT Act. And then now we have the uh, help that we will need, hopefully need to get more people the aid and care that there was for so many years, talking about decades now, they have not been getting because they've been exposed to toxic chemicals, breathing it in getting it into their bodies, and it's been affecting them, getting them cancer, accident with their lungs, all kinds of horrible things. Tell us what we need to know in order to get approvals done. Hi. Um, so I would just first like to say that the PACT Act is the largest health care and benefit expansion in the VA history. And I do want to let you guys know that you guys should look up um, the name of it, which it was named after Sergeant First Class Heath Robinson, honoring our promise to address comprehensive toxics, mm-hmm. which is, you know, the acronym for PACT. But if you actually look up Sergeant First Class Heath Robinson and his story, it's just very, very deep and sad. And I'm so glad and proud to work for the VA. And I'm so proud that this, you know, act was passed. If you can, give us a little bit of uh, insight as to Heath's story. Because there's a, a lot of people I wanted to recognize. I'm glad you did you did it first. There's tons of people that are in on this for I mean, for over a decade, fighting for this type of legislation to help people get this done. Um, and also, like I said, this is something that millions of veterans have been exposed to over and over again and on their tours of duty and deployments overseas. Yes. So Sergeant First Class Heath Robinson served in the Ohio National Guard. He was a very healthy young man, served, you know, served in the military, was exposed to toxic exposures, was denied service connection for respiratory conditions, and he pretty much suffered. And that's why they named the act after him. And he, you know, he's the pioneer of this. The PACT Act, you know, expands the health care and eligibility. It makes, it expands um, 20 new presumptive conditions for burn pits and other toxic exposures. 
It adds presumptive exposure locations for Agent Orange and radiation, which is huge. So I know I'm kind of, you know, skipping a little bit, but the Agent Orange portion is that it opens up five new locations for Agent Orange presumptive conditions. And the first one that I want to talk about is the on any U.S. or Royal Thai military base in Thailand, if you served in any of those places between January 9, 1962 and June 30, 1976, please come and see us so we can refile your claim and, you know, get you service connected. So Thailand, Laos, Cambodia, Guam or American Samoa and the Johnston Atoll is the five new um, Agent Orange presumptive locations. And just to make sure I, get, I put in the correct name to the correct voice. This is your. This is Justina Berry. Yes. Okay. And you're a U.S. Army Iraq combat veteran. So in your tours of duty um, as an Iraq combat veteran, um, how much exposure do you uh, feel you had to these burn pits? Well, when I was in the service, I was in the Army. I was military police. And we were a platoon that was, you know, in an outbase, outpost. We were at JSS McHenry, which was a joint base with the Iraqi police. And we were doing PT around, you know, where they were burning the the garbage and everything else. They were throwing in Humvee batteries. They were throwing in uniforms. Just anything and everything went into the burn pit. And, of course, in the Army, you have to stay on on your PT and, you know, make sure you pass your PT test. So they had us running around the perimeter of the base, which was all burning trash. Hmm. And then what so is, from, what, from I, what your memories are, what does it smell like to you? Um, Not good. It smelled <laughs> like it smelled like trash, burning yeah. trash and smoke, you know. And then also, you know, I'm I'm sure Donis knows when you go outside the wire and you go on missions, you're sitting as a gunner, your head is out. We weren't wearing masks. You're breathing in all that fresh air and it's, you know, it's burn pits. It's all the particles getting into your lungs. So as a person who's been through that and I've had, I mean, once again, I'm not a, uh, I've never been deployed, so... My experience with chemicals, I've had a lot of experience from jobs I've taken where I've been exposed to things like similar to burn pits and other things, which, you know, you you never get that smell out of your your head. Like I can – I mean, when I think about it, I still think of that. To me, I describe it – I describe some of those smells as somebody took some rotten eggs and lit them with lighter fluid. Or like maybe, right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, that's kind of that's what pops into my mind. It's like, what the hell is that smell? And you look up, and you look on the over the horizon, you see that big ass cloud of spilling black smoke. You know, but then right. On, but- the, on the flip side of that, so now we have this this act that's been passed. Now, what is the first thing that veterans need to be doing in order to make sure? Because we had this conversation before the show, is that when you are healthy, and I never thought about this. When you're healthy, you think everything is good. And then all of a sudden you get older. So what do we need to do? Yep. So the first thing that I I would recommend all our veterans to do is sign up for an account on VA.gov and possibly request a copy of your file 
and see what you were denied for. I'm pretty sure that on VA.gov it does show what conditions you were previously denied for, but I'm always going to harp on this. Find out why you were denied. What is the actual reason why you were denied? Because as you know, for service connection, we need three things. In-service event, current condition, once you have those two things, you file a claim, we'll set up an exam where we'll determine if there's a nexus between the two. But, I mean, the presumptive conditions kind of change all of that because we don't need the third part, which is the link. Okay. And then why is it so important for people? There's a, I know there's a registry as well. Is that still necessary? Donis, do you know? As far as the registry, I would say yes, because it still is a way to track conditions, not only for Vietnam veterans, but for also Gulf War veterans as well, who are also affected by this process. Um, it, it's a tool that is utilized in order for, pe- for the um, examiners to be able to see what conditions that a large group of people are suffering from that may not be on the presumptive list. And in the event that of these large group of individuals is suffering from conditions that are not on this presumptive list, then that's a, that's a possibility that those conditions can be added to the presumptive list. So for me, my advice would be is if you serve anywhere in the Gulf or during the, during the Vietnam era, I will most certainly sign up for that burn pit registry and go for that exam. So you just never know. Hmm. And then with this this uh, this list of presumptives, is it going to be easier for veterans to get treatment? And then will they need less documentation? So I'm assuming, I'm guessing from, from what I understand about this is that all this prove that you were here, prove this was done, prove that, prove this. Um, in this particular case, if you were there at that particular um, theater or or um, or uh, combat zone, you are going to be approved. Correct. As long as Correct. you have the condition diagnosed and you served in the area of operations that that's presumptive, you don't need the nexus. So it makes it a lot easier. Thank you for bringing that up. And that's a, <laughs> that's a huge thing for a lot of veterans because, I mean, there's always this, for veterans who have been denied benefits before we're not even talking about disability benefits. Like it's not about the monthly checks. It's about just getting something taken care of um, at the VA and getting the extensive care and treatments and the, and the resources available to get your health care straight. The big fear is I got to prove all this stuff. I'm going to have to go through and drag out all this information, get all these records that I don't even have, and then I'm going to they're going to tell me no. It's going to take months and months and months to do this, or maybe even a few years to do this. And they're going to tell me no. How long does it, is it should it take now if someone says, okay, I have these symptoms, I want to get care, how long does it take for them to actually start getting care, do you expect? Well, it depends on the condition because I know the VA Medical Center has done a lot for mental health treatment. I know for mental health, you don't necessarily need to be service-connected, depending on the situation, to get treatment for that condition. But the average for claims is about 125 days. That's the goal. But, I mean, we're still dealing with, you know, the COVID pandemic. And, you know, there are some delays with, you know, depending on what you claim, there can be a delay in receiving your benefits. 
But I think the key is to get your intent to file in, work your claim, like gather your evidence, and submit, you know, a complete application to us as soon as you can. Does it make sense if a person doesn't have symptoms now or hasn't suffered or maybe hasn't doesn't know that they're that they have symptoms for them to file an intent to, or an intent to file claim or uh, messing up the terminology? But does it make sense from the start sure. that process? Sure. They can Absolutely. always do an intent to file because the intent to file will preserve the date of claim where they have to submit the complete application. So if today I got on VA.gov, I'm the veteran and I submit you know, I start my application, but I don't complete it, that will put in the system an intent to file. Or if I call the 1-800 number and I talk to the call center and I say, hey, I would like to file a claim in the future, they're going to put it in the system, and that will give me one complete year to submit a complete application. So that will give me time to gather my evidence and, you know, maybe come see us at the regional office, come see your service officer, See what you have to do to file a complete application. What types of evidence do they need to provide? I think the key that's missing with a a lot of veterans is the current condition. Mm -hmm. So I know a lot of veterans think that they need to have, you know, a medically diagnosed condition. But how they can go kind of around that is they can tell us about the symptoms that they're having of a condition. So because of the COVID pandemic, you know, a lot of veterans didn't go for treatment. The VA was, you know, closed down or they had limited, you know, opportunities to see a healthcare provider. So they can write a statement about their current symptoms and that will work as evidence of a current condition, unless it's something that needs to be diagnosed through medical evidence, such as a cancer. Mm-hmm. then we need medical evidence for that. But if, you know, if I'm an Iraq veteran and I'm having shortness of breath all of a sudden going up and down stairs, I'm competent enough to write a statement about what I'm feeling, you know, and mm-hmm. how long I've been having this condition. And the VA will use that as medical evidence. Mm-hmm. And then, so what if a person goes through this and say, for example, like I was diagnosed with histoplasmosis um, maybe like four years ago. That's a very strange, weird, you know, odd, rare, uh, I guess, lung issue, whatever. Don't know where that came from, how I got it, but I was was diagnosed with it. Um, If I were to go through that system today and then say, for example, they say, well, you have histoplasmosis. You don't have, um, you know, the bronchitis of what I think it was called. What do they call it now? They call it restrictive bronchitis. Bronchitis. Mm -hmm. So if I don't have that, will that be be kicked out of the system or how that work from 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 what you know? So... Each each claim is kind of different. So, like, maybe in your case, I would ask you to provide, like, what do you think caused that condition? So, let's say you were living in the barracks or something like that on active duty, and, you know, sometimes they have you sign some kind of asbestos, um, like, registry or something like that. I've seen that in records before, for especially the Navy folks. Um so there's, it just depends on what you were exposed to. Mm-hmm. So are you I guys hopeful? Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I also want to point out, I know that you inquired about health care. I will say this to you and all veterans or anyone listening. If you are experiencing any type of symptoms or anything that you think or that might cause an issue later, or 
something that you're not sure that you could file for, go to the doctor. You don't necessarily have to go to the VA either. And if you, even if you do go to the VA and say they say um, um, you, you don't have to be service-connected to go to the VA, let's put that out there. You do not have to be service-connected to be seen at the VA. What happens is, just like any other hospital, you will have a copay, or they might have you pay for your medication or something, but the, the price is not going to be astronomical as if you went to an emergency room. You might have to pay like $10 or 20 but you do not have to wait if you have any symptoms. Go and be, be seen because you might need those records later. They might be vital you know, a year or two later on down the road. Wow. That's really, I think that's really important that you, what you mentioned on this because that a lot of people have that misconception, particularly people from the reserves and national guard is that if I go to the VA and an amount this is not service connected, I'm going to be getting a bill in the mail. Or are they going to say you can't come in? Nope. I went through it. Um, in the beginning, I was, I was in the army reserve and I got called to active duty twice. But before then, what helped me get service-connected is because I had an event happen while I was on a drill weekend. Mm. So they didn't turn me around at the door and say, you're not service-connected. They just invited me on in, and I had to pay for my medication, which was $20. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's good. again, you know, Keeping I just want to put it out there. So, <laughs> so that they know, because I hear that a lot, too, at the VA, or they think that they can't. Um, be seen at the VA because they did not go overseas or they wasn't they didn't serve during a war, you know, in a war specifically, and that's not true. That's not true at all. So why, where so, do we get that misconception from? Why do we have this misconception? Um, honestly, I see a lot of it on social media, um, and I, I, I honestly, I, I didn't even know they were out there until I became a veteran service officer. And I was shocked myself. So I have no idea because when I left service, you know, they told us, you know, to be go go to the VA immediately. Mm, <laughs> so wow. um, if if anything happened, they harped on that in my unit. So in both of them. So I don't know exactly where. I do hear a lot of uh, false things when I'm at the VA. Um, but, you know, I work at the regional office, so I'll go over there for lunch sometimes. And I hear veterans talking amongst themselves, and they say things that are not always the truth. Um, also, there's um, certain, you know, it's just a lack of knowledge because people don't, you know, take the time out to read or listen or ask the personnel who are, you know, really well versed in this type of thing. Um, I would encourage everybody out there who is listening, if you are unsure, you know, you can make an appointment to come in and see us on VA.gov. You can also call the National Contact Center and make an appointment for us to give you a call if you cannot come in. And that number is 1-800-827-1000. And this is where we will give you, you will set up a a time for us to give you a call is not a it is not a video <laughs> it is a phone call um and we're not bill collectors so it will show up as a 1-800 number but you can set up a time for us to call you and discuss general benefit questions or address any questions that you may have um or or, or make an appointment to come see us or do research on va.gov anything that everybody you know wants to know even um um, family members of um, veterans, survivors, 
if you go to va.gov and anything you want to know about, type it, type that in the search bar. It's a beautiful tool. And I guarantee it's going to, some, some things are going to come up, some links are going to come up that will, you know, give you some general knowledge or guide you in a direction to the regional offices or even the local service, the service organizations that are there to assist you. So I see a lot of commercials on TV about joining the military. And I see a lot of uh, commercials about, you know, all the things that some of the things that the military is doing. And there's all kinds of stuff in, in public media and social media and things like that. Uh, does the VA do a good enough job getting the information and resources out there through their uh, media networks and outlets? America's Heroes Group, we're a not-for-profit. We do what we do. But what is the VA and what is the this VA system doing to get their message out there so people know and have the information that, that they can, you know, uh, sign up because of the PACT Act? and get treatment for, for their breathing discomforts and breathing issues and things like that, or just knowing that you can just go to the VA and get treated? Okay, so it is, it's things like this. Most importantly, what the VA is doing right now is outreaches. Like tomorrow, me and Justina will be at the, at the fair out in Springfield, readily available to set up an appointment, silence the files, and talk to veterans about you know, things that they may have questions for. Also, um, there are, um, again, there is VA.gov, which is a vital, vital tool. And for those of us who are older and who may not know, they can always set up a, a virtual appointment to have us call them just for general information. Um, but for us at the VA, Outreaches are extremely important, and we do outreaches for you know a multitude of with a multitude of organizations everywhere from you know the fair. We was at the uh, last month. We went to um, the Armory of on Fifty Fifth at the Stand Down, and you know if there's anybody out there that would like us to come to their establishment to talk to veterans, they please get you know. Um, you all can um, set up an appointment um, to um, have us give you a call and talk to us about that or, you know, reach out to us via email. Um, my email is donis.overton at va.gov, um, which is D-O-N-N-I-S dot O-V-E-R-T-O-N at va.gov. And just um, as well. We need to do an event in order to bring people together and bring veterans together so we can, you know, get some of the information out there. Because even when you talk to a lot of the American legions and a lot of the VFWs, there's not – I mean, some of the smaller ones don't have the information you just talked about. So we got to get out yeah. there. we got to set up some, our, some kind of uh, event. Have you ever seen a Veterans Affairs, a Veterans Benefits Administration, or a VA commercial? Is there one out there that exists? I personally have not. I, I'm not a big TV girl. I, I have. I've seen one, but only for um, recruiting for careers, there which <laughs> based on the SPAC Act, um, there's a lot of um, job opportunities coming. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I would look up on YouTube. There's a Veterans Benefits Administration channel. I have seen that. I've seen the, VB, the VA, the VBA um, channel on YouTube. That's been pretty cool. And also you can check out America's Heroes Group. Go to our website, you know, and look at our old YouTube videos or Facebook. 
Um, check, check us out. Check out the, the, some of the organizations like the VSOs, like the DAV, Disabled American Veterans. Great place, great um, VSO. Now, for how how much do you think you're going to rely on the VSOs now? Because I mean, I can imagine a floodgate because there's like what 3.5 million vets I think that are that are I think on this that that are registered now, something like that for exposure to toxic uh, chemicals. Yes, I believe you are correct. I mean, I would say always reach out. If you have a service officer, always reach out to them. But, you know, knowing that they may be, you know, overextended, you can always take matters into your own hands and get on va.gov. Come see us at the public contact team. And, you know, each case is different. So we can help you with your individual case. And I think that's that's the biggest key in all of this mm. is that each claim is different and each case is specific. So we would love to help you guys out. I appreciate that. And then also, not to get on my soapbox again, but I say this every time we have this, this conversation about veterans' benefits. If, like I, I said this before earlier today, before the show, if, if, if I fell down in this radio station today, there would be aid and help and medical care for me. That I wouldn't have to go and, and prove that I was at a certain place, a certain time. I just go file a claim with my insurance company, um, at my job, and they would I would get covered. I would just they would treat me. I have might have a copay, whatever. And granted, it gives me more comfort to have more knowledge that yeah, you can walk into a VA hospital and get care that way. But why is there so much? Why is this this process in place where you when you have before this act was passed, if you had cancer or if you were suffering from um, what? seems logically con- uh, a connection to a burn pit or t- exposure to toxic fumes, knowing this is in your history, work history as a, as a, as a military service member, why is, is there this process in place, still in place, where you have to prove that something is service-connected to get certain benefits? Well, I think that prior to this PACT Act, how it worked is that a veteran, even myself, when I claimed my asthma condition, I claimed it directly due to burn pits. And then what the VA did is they requested an exam and they asked the examiner, is her current asthma related to burn pits? And then it kind of puts it back on the examiner to explain if it's service connected and why or why not. This way, it's presumptive, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So now we're not asking the doctor if it's due to service. Now we have a law that protects that. So it just it kind of just changed things. And thank God it did. Ms. Donis, Donis Overton, U.S. Army Combat Veteran and U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs Public Contact Team member, and also our panelist, Justina Barry, she's a U.S. Iraq Combat Veteran and the Chicago Regional Office Public Contact Representative. Thank you for your time and also this great information. And we got to do something. Thank you so yes, much for having please. us. Thank <laughs> you. My pleasure. This is America's Heroes Group. We'll be right back. Thank you for listening to America's Heroes Group Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss an episode. And for more details, visit americashg.org.